the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, helping you get through the quarantine time as best we can, talking through our uh, team previews in this offseason here. Uh, continuing with the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs today, Joe Lundergan, Eric Henry with you as always. And today we are joined by Mr. Corey Diaz. Uh, I know we're going to talk some tech football here, but uh, first to start off, Corey, I, I know you kind of mentioned before we started recording that uh isolation has been tough on you but uh how are you kind of dealing with it in terms of you know covering sports now sure uh, well first off let me say i uh, appreciate you guys having me on i always enjoyed uh spending some time with you guys and chopping things up um you know i, I think uh you know i kind of feel like at least most of most of us journalists are kind of cut from the same cloth you know i think we're i think we're all pretty social creatures and and um you know not leaving the house and and not having the opportunity to to go and actually visit with people face to face and interact with them in a in a in a much more um, you know natural social setting, uh, it's you know it's I don't know it kind of does something uh, does something to your brain. You know you kind of have to have those conversations with yourself on a daily basis that you know we will eventually get through this and and this is just a, a temporary thing and and you just kind of you know you kind of look for the positives uh, each and every day and. You know, uh, in terms of, you know, just, you know, continuing to, to turn out content, you know, for our readers out here, you know, I mean, it's it's literally waking up every morning and <laughs> picking up your phone, you know, it's, you know, usually, you know, you would wake up and, you know, maybe get a quick bite to eat or something. And you hop in your car and you drive to these, uh, you know, these schools and, and visit with these coaches. But, you know, we, we've had to, you know, sort of change the way we uh, we go about uh, reporting on our, uh, on our schools and our teams and our student athletes. And, and, uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, 15, 20 phone calls a day, which, uh, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge phone guy myself. I, you know, if I'm, you know, I don't like to talk on the phone a whole lot. I know that's probably kind of weird to say too, especially being a sports journalist. I mean, obviously it's part of our job, but, uh, you know, I just, I've always thrived more in a, in a, you know, face-to-face type setting and, um, you know, but again, you know, we just, we got to do what we got to do. You know, at this point, it's all about being smart. Um, and I, I'm trying for, you know, not only my sake, but for, for those around me, you know, I've got a roommate that I live with, you know, I, everything that I uh, decide to do day in, day out in terms of, you know, going out of the house and, and going to do something, uh, you know, I don't only think about myself in these situations, you know, I think about others too. And, and, uh, you know, I hope we get to the point to where, you know, everybody can sort of heed that advice and, and uh, we can get we can get past this and get back to, uh, I think, what we feel like is a normal life for everybody as soon as we can. Yeah, definitely can relate to what you're saying there. Uh, speaking of interacting with others, I think earlier we were talking to uh, Evan Dudley, UAB beat writer for AL.com. And uh, he actually mentioned that, well, first of all, he was very complimentary of you. And second of all, he mentioned that you two had a... Uh, shared career stop at a small newspaper in Texas. Is that right? Uh, no, it's actually uh, it's actually just right outside of my hometown uh, in Alabama. Uh, oh, okay. I think, um, yeah, I want, I'm trying to remember the the timeline here. I think he may have. I was the sports editor at this uh, this paper called the Watumpka Herald. Uh, like I said, it's about 20 miles north of uh, Montgomery in Alabama. 
And um, I want to say Evan was my successor after I had left and, and came out here uh, to Louisiana to cover Louisiana Tech and Grambling State. Um, but, yeah, you know, what's funny about Evan, too, is that uh, I think it was literally maybe three or four days ago he and I officially became Facebook friends. So uh, I guess we're now we're we're officially friends, you know. <laughs> <laughs> good to hear, man. It's, uh, it's no, a small Evan, Evan's a good dude. Yeah. Evan's, you know, that's one of the. See, that's the thing about, um, you know, what we, you know, what we all do and, and, you know, with these particular, you know, conferences and which are the teams that we cover participate in, right? You know, we always, you know, we all meet up, you know, every summer for media days and, you know, and obviously during football season stuff, we'll, we'll go and travel to some away games and we get to see each other. And, and quite honestly, I mean, that's, that's what I love most about, you know, what I do is uh, get able to able to develop those friendships, uh, you know, with my fellow colleagues. And, you know, it's one of those things where you can share war stories and stuff. And, um, you know, and Evan's, Evan's a great guy. He and I, you know, this past summer uh, during media days, we, we hung out a good bit. And, and uh, Eric, I know you and I, we hung out as well. And, and um, you know, that's, I'm hoping, you know, we'll be able to get that opportunity here in a few months. It's, uh, you know, to say that I'm a little concerned that we may not, that would, that would be, that would be the truth. But, uh, you know, hopefully we can here in July again, we'll be able to have that opportunity. So, cause I want to see all you guys. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I know we're looking forward to the uh, in-person interactions too. Uh, going back to football, how is kind of the current climate of everything affected Louisiana Tech's football program specifically? Yeah, you know, um, you know, I think what's interesting about, um, you know, the, the, the current uh, landscape and atmosphere around Louisiana Tech's football program right now is, um, you know, I think uh, there's probably a lot of there's probably a lot of college football teams around the country that's kind of in the same boat as them. But they didn't even get a, a single practice during the spring. What's what's really what was really, I guess, um, I guess maybe disheartening, maybe could be the right word here, but. You know, the day that they were supposed to open up uh, spring football practice was actually the day that morning was when everything was um, at that point. It was just suspended, um, you know, and then a couple of days after that, you know, they finally pulled the plug and, and shut down all football activity. So, you know, for for Skip Holtz and, and his group right now, you know, they they haven't had a single day, you know, to, to teach. And, uh, you know, and, and with those, uh, I think they have 18 early enrollees, you know, on, on campus right now. You know, it's like, you know, none of those brand new guys, you know, have had an opportunity to, you know, to actually see what they've probably been told through these, you know, Zoom team meetings that they have, you know, over their computers and stuff. They haven't been able to have an opportunity to go out on the field and, and see what they've been taught, you know, and try to learn in a, you know, more hands-on way. So, um I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, that could potentially, you know, put Louisiana Tech, uh, you know, kind of behind the eight ball here. But, um, you know, I, I think every college football coach loves to have these 15 practices during the swing, uh, during the spring to be able to, you know, really sort of get those those younger guys some reps and because uh, those are really valuable. And, and it's a good way for coaches to identify who who those either you know redshirt freshmen or even true freshmen who they've just gotten on campus good way to good way for them to evaluate whether or not that's somebody that they might could count on you know in the fall when games are actually played so um you know everything's just different you know um i don't think i don't think any college football coach around the country is 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 used to this i guess the guess what kind of levels the playing field is is that particular fact you know everybody's kind of navigating this as they go on a day-to-day basis and so 
Um, you know, you're just trying to you're just trying to figure out what you can do uh, with the current restraints and and uh, try to be as uh, efficient and effective as possible. Certainly makes sense. So uh, let's look ahead to hope you, hopefully happier times with the uh, 2020 season coming up. Uh, the consensus online amongst casual observers of Louisiana Tech football seems to be that uh, the program is going to see a little bit of a downturn in 2020. Uh, obviously, the program's had a lot of success uh, in consecutive years here with going to as many bowl games as they've had and uh, had 10 wins last season. But what's your kind of take on the outlook for the Bulldogs in 2020? Sure. Um, you know, I kind of wish I'd had at least a couple of spring football practices to kind of see some of these guys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my my initial attention uh, turns to the defensive side of the ball where, where they're going to lose nine defensive starters. Um, you know, and that's that's huge. You know, you lo- you're losing your entire defensive backfield. Obviously, that's headlined there by Meek Robertson, um, who – the latest I've heard uh, as of a couple of days ago, just, you know, working the phones and stuff, I'm hearing Amik has, has kind of soared up some draft boards and it could be as high as a mid-second round pick in the NFL draft next month, or actually this month now. So uh, so you lose a guy like that who's, you know, who's a two-time All-American uh, in his three years of college. Uh, and then obviously on the back end, a guy like Lugarius Need, who we all saw at the Combine. Um, you know, early this earlier last month and, and had a tremendous workout and uh, so you're losing uh, just so many, you know, collegiate snaps. You're losing so many snaps of football, and you know you're losing, you know, three of your four linebackers, and you're losing, uh, you know, two of your defensive linemen, uh, defensive tackle, and, and a defensive end, and um, you know there, there's really no substitute, um, you know, for that kind of experience, and so. Um, again, you know, and it kind of goes back to, you know, that, that this group, you know, not being able to have any time on the field, you know, this spring is, is, uh, you know, how quickly, you know, can, can the defense side of the ball, which we have a new defense coordinator here at Tech, you know, David Blackwell's come in from Old Dominion, who, you know, last couple of years up there has done a pretty good job turning the, the, the Monarchs defense around. You know, not only do you have a, a new defense coordinator, but you're going to also have to uh, kind of get back to, Last year, that was more of a uh, you know a three-four base defense under Bob Diaco, and and this year, uh, David Blackwell has kind of been known to to you know base out of a four-three. So, and uh, defensive line uh, depth is going to be a big issue, especially if they're going to they're going to uh, aim to you know have four down linemen in their in their defensive base formation. You're going to have to find some bodies, um, and so it's going to be interesting to see uh you know cuz the defense the last 4 years uh dating back to you know Blake Baker's last couple of years um you know had gone from i think it was 116th overall in total defense until uh you know last year i think they were in the top 30 you know and so losing all those guys you know i think on the defense side of the ball you're probably looking at a situation where you know this tech defense um you know it's going to going to give up a lot of points unless they can you know, find some guys that can come in and be, uh, you know, immediate, uh, immediate playmakers and, and have an impact on the game. And, and obviously, you know, on the offensive side, you know, when you lose a three-year starter and Jay Marson at the quarterback, you know, I think any, any college football program across the country, you know, when you lose that type of experience under center, uh, you know, you, you expect to take a, a bit of a step back. And uh, I know uh, the redshirt freshman last year, he'll be a redshirt sophomore this year, but Aaron Allen, you know, he started at UAB last year. He started at Marshall last year. So he's got a couple of starts under his belt. But, uh, you know, Tech brought in a, 
a uh, a grad transfer from Adeline Christian and Luke Anthony, who uh, who the last I've talked with Skip, you know, about his quarterback competition, despite you know Aaron Allen having those two starts under his belt. You know, it's going to be a wide-open quarterback race uh, to see who's going to win that job, you know, once we finally able to, you know, get some practices in and, and uh, see what we can do before they actually start, you know, playing games. And so, um, you know, and also, you know, you're losing three of your five starters on the offensive line. So last year's team, you know, was very uh, senior-heavy. Uh, there was a ton of experience. And this year you're looking at a situation where, there's not going to be anywhere close to that amount of experience on the field altogether. So uh, they're going to have to find a way to, to find the, you know, the best 11 guys on each side of the ball as quickly as they can and see if they can uh, locate some guys that can play well together side by side. And, and uh, that's going to be the biggest challenge right now. I think, um, you know, once we're able to finally get back on the field and get some practices in and, and play these games, they're going to have to find the, 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 right, the right combination of guys uh, to order to sort of stave off, you know, what we classify as a, you know, a step back. So, Gotcha. Certainly understandable. And I know we're all uh, pretty anxious, not, not just to get football back, but to see how this program follows up the 10-win season next year. Um, speaking of 2020, I know you haven't had a lot of chances to see the players who would most likely be, you know, the first stringers and that kind of thing. Uh, for the upcoming season, but who's one player on this team that who's sort of an unknown now, but even the more casual observers are going to know by the end of the upcoming season? Sure. Um, you know, I, there, there's, there's two, the two guys that are back on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, I think are guys that have the potential to, um, you know, to kind of help those, those new starters and, uh, you know, maybe even some younger guys who may actually earn some playing time, you know, to kind of help them, you know, with their confidence and whatnot. Uh, you've got to, you've got to rush in by the name of Milton Williams, um, who, you know, he had a decent year last year, but, you know, obviously with him being the long guy back across the defensive front, uh, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to have to assume a lot more of, uh, you know, the accountability and, and, and the, the ability to make plays, um, you know, and disrupt quarterbacks uh, for Louisiana Tech's defense. And, and that's a guy that, you know, uh, you know he's a big guy. He, he's almost, when you see him in practice and see him in these games, uh, from a physical standpoint, you know, he's not quite as tall as Jalen Ferguson, but they do both have like the same, you know, body frame. And so, uh, you know, long arms, quick off the ball, um, and, you know, Milton, you know, the last year that Jalen was here, you know, he, he spent a lot of time playing behind Jalen Ferguson. And so, uh, you know, that's a guy that I think that, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, maybe that follow Conference USA football, maybe has not heard his name a whole lot, uh, but it could be someone, um, you know, if we're able to get on the field this fall, they might would hear a lot of, and it could be a guy that I think that, you know, David Blackwell, the new defense coordinator, will, like I said, will probably try to put a little more on his shoulders because he's, you know, he's he started all of last year and then the year before playing behind Jay Ferg. He, he was able to get a fair amount of snaps. So he's got some experience under his belt. And the other guy is, is a, he'll be a redshirt sophomore safety, is B.J. Williamson. Uh, you know, this is a guy that, you know, when you think back to the defensive backfield that Louisiana Tech's had the last couple of years, you know, a lot of guys with a lot of experience, and and uh, you know when you're when you're playing alongside the Amik Robertsons and the Legarius Needs and the Michael Sams and the Daryl Lewises, 
um, you know, this kid, you know, he he's obviously soaked up a lot of that knowledge. I mean, he he started a handful of games last year. He actually won the starting job after the first week of the year over a senior, Daryl Lewis, at the you know at the boundary safety spot. So, um, you know, he's obviously very talented. You know, and I think he's uh, he's got a some good ball hawk uh, instincts and. Um, he likes to deliver big hits too, and I, and I think that's what that's one of the things that helped him uh, really stand out to the coaching staff uh, last year. Was you know he likes to he likes to come in on run support, and and he's able to you know to make tackles in the open field, which is a big thing, um, you know, especially in this era of college football that we're in with the air raids and and the pass happy offenses. So. Uh, those are those are two guys that, that immediately come to mind um, on the defensive side of the ball, and you know, and, and I would even say on the offensive side, you know, I think the run game probably more so than the last couple of years is going to be even more important, you know, for Louisiana Tech, and and to have a guy like Willie Allen back, you know, that plays left tackle, you know, he he protects the quarterback's blind side, and. Uh, you know, this is a guy that, you know, out of high school, initially signed with LSU and spent a little time there before transferring out and going JUCO before signing with uh, Louisiana Tech. And, you know, humongous kid. I mean, this is a kid that, um, you know, is definitely going to be an NFL prospect. Um, you know, exactly how high he would be on anybody's board at this point in his particular class, I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, he's he's a guy that um, came in and, and really had to learn his way. He, he struggled with um, – you know, learning the offense right away. Uh, and so he spent a year uh, playing behind O'Shea Dugas. And, and um, you know, and then last year he, he really took the bull by the horns and, and he became one of uh, Louisiana Tech's best offensive linemen last year. And that's and that's no small feat when you when you talk about, you know, playing alongside a guy, Ethan Reed, who had the most consecutive starts um, in college football, you know, before he graduated, you know, after the Independence Bowl last year. So, uh, there's, they have some have some really good offensive linemen, and for Willie Allen to be a guy, you know, that the coaching staff uh, really has a lot of high praise for, uh, you know, I think that speaks volumes to the, you know, to the type of player that he is and how vital he'll he'll be, you know, with this offense as they kind of move to a different quarterback and and try to find some different avenues to uh, pick up yards and score points. I think that's a guy that, uh, you know, the coaching staff is really going to rely heavily on. Certainly makes sense. Uh, when we talk about 2020 and the schedule what's the most significant non-conference game in your mind for next season yeah i mean you know a a trip to waco uh to play at baylor um that's the last saturday uh not or i'm sorry in september um you know that's going to be a pretty big you know barometer game for this team because up until that point um you know you've you've played at unlv uh, so you're you're kind of going across the country there uh, to play in the season opener in Las Vegas, and then the the, the obvious early test, uh, but it's a conference game. But you go to Hattiesburg in week two, you know, to play your rival in Southern Miss, and so that's that's probably the 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 first game on the schedule that I think a lot of Louisiana Tech players will have circled, obviously for a variety of reasons. But um, you know, but when we're speaking specifically about the non-conference games. You know, you've, you've got Prairie View A&M uh, in the home opener for Louisiana Tech on September 19th, which, you know, that's an, that's your, you know, your yearly FCS opponent. That's your money game that you pay for. And, um, you know, with the with me covering Grambling State, I do have a little bit of intel on Prairie View A&M, too. I like to keep up with them, you know. And, and Prairie View's lost a lot of offensive firepower, you know, with the Jalen Morton kid at quarterback. He's gone. 
they lost their their running back Dewanya Tucker, who was a who was a big time playmaker for for Prairie View last year, and, and they lost their tight ends. And so, um, I don't expect Louisiana Tech to, to struggle with Prairie View A and M at all in their home opener. And then that following week was when they traveled to Waco and take on Baylor. You know, as we saw last year, um, you know, Baylor kind of took, uh, you know, the Big 12 Conference by storm, uh, played for their conference championship. Uh, you know, I remember watching that game against Oklahoma and, and thought that, you know, for the first two and a half quarters of that game, I thought Baylor was the better team. And so, um, you know, they ultimately didn't win that game. But uh, I think you're you're looking at facing off, facing off against a team at their place um, that's got uh, loads of talent, uh, that's a that's a P5 school on the road and and um, you know for for Tech to to go into a place like that and to come out with a win uh, especially early in the year four games in uh, would be huge especially again when you consider all the factors of you know how much how much they're having to replace this off season and and um, you know when you look at all those factors and so. Uh, that that to me will be the big uh, you know non-conference game for Louisiana Tech this year, uh, just to kind of see where they stack up. You know, because obviously you know you're coming off a, a shutout victory of a of a P5 school in Miami, you know, in Shreveport at the Independence Bowl. So can can you sort of keep that momentum going uh, against P5 schools? Uh, you know, that will be their next opportunity to see kind of where they stack up. Gotcha. And last question before I toss it back to Eric here. Um, what do you think of Amik Robertson's prospective pro career? I know you've mentioned him a couple of times over the course of this conversation, but curious to th- to know how you think his NFL days are going to pan out. You know, here's the thing about Amik, and I and I've, you know, um, I guess I don't know if it's selfishly or not, um, but you know, this is a kid who, um, you know, he came in to, to Louisiana Tech three years ago. You know, and I was I was new on the beat covering Louisiana Tech, and just been here uh, just a few months and whatnot. And and Amik's one of the guys that you know, admittedly, that I've gotten to know, you know, really, really, really well, just as a person. And um, you know, and this is a kid where you look at him, you know, and Meek probably wouldn't admit this to you, but I, I'm taller than he is, <laughs> and I am not a Division One college football athlete by any stretch of the imagination. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this kid. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a half inch taller than he is. Like, how is he going to be able to stack up and you know cover these guys who are six foot, six one, six two? You know, some of those guys that he saw at you know at Texas last year in the opener, and like, you know, every time I've, I've had this thought in my brain of Oh, there. This might be a, an instance where you know Amik might struggle. Uh, that's never been the case. I mean, this this dude in his second ever career game as a true freshman for Louisiana Tech. He's playing Mississippi State, and this dude intercepts a ball in the first quarter and, and nearly returns it for a touchdown. And it was like one of the best plays that I had seen, uh, like with my own eyes in a college football stadium in, in a while. And, and really, ever since then, man, I've just been just completely enamored with him as a football player. Uh, I've got so much respect for him, uh, just the, just the type of person that he is, and, and how he sort of approaches, you know, every single challenge that he's been faced with in, in his life. And you know, this is a guy that I think that, um, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I, I'm the latest I've heard is, you know, a mid second round draft pick, uh, you know, in the in the draft you know, later this month. And you know, I, 
I mean, then again, if you if you factor in everything, especially from a physical standpoint, you know, five nine, he's got his weight up now to 190 pounds, which I know a lot of NFL teams wanted him to see uh, him put on a lot of weight. Uh, this is a guy that I think he could immediately, um, you know, if there's a there's an NFL team out there right now that has an immediate need for a, you know, a slot corner, he can do it, and I think he could do it from day one um, because he's always had that mentality. Um, and so, I, I am I am very confident in Amik's ability uh, to not only come in and get drafted by an NFL team, but but get into camp. Uh, raise some eyebrows, open some eyes. Uh, I think he'll, I think he'll be on the field a lot, uh, as a, as a rookie, you know, he's a, he and I have had some conversations in the last couple of months, you know, after his career has been uh, over after he declared and, you know, one of his goals, he said, he wants to be the NFL rookie of the year. <laughs> and to be honest with you, after watching him for three years, I mean, who am I to doubt this guy? Cause everything that he said he's wanted to do, he's accomplished. I mean, and so, uh, I have all the I have all the 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 confidence and the faith uh, in the world and Amik Robertson and his ability uh, to go out and and to be an immediate impact player for for whatever NFL team uh, takes that chance on him and and uh, you know I'm just I'm really excited to see you know how well he does and and where he goes um, you know from here because I really do truly honestly believe that the sky is the limit for Amik Robertson. I think he's uh, he's one of the better football players pound for pound that I've, that I've ever had the opportunity to cover. Appreciate the insight. I know we're looking forward to seeing what he does as well. Uh, Eric, I'll toss it over to you for the uh, second round of interrogation here. <laughs> Hopefully, of course. <laughs> interrogation, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going gonna, uh, I'm gonna to jump back to the court at the beginning of the conversation because I didn't want to interrupt Joe's line of questioning. I, too, will uh, will piggyback off what he said and say that, you know, one of the biggest things about kind of the uncertain times we're in right now is I definitely, too, am, uh, I'm hoping that, you know, we get a football season for a myriad of reasons, but especially, you know, covering Conference USA, it's kind of a, it's a close-knit, you know, kind of group of guys. One of the uh, things I look forward to during the year now, outside of obviously the games itself, but uh, you know, get a chance to catch up with the uh, opposing team's beat writer, and whether that's you know Joe Spears at Middle Tennessee or Ed Miller ODU, you know Elliot Pratt, you know of course my man Corey down there media day. So both of us are you know uh, kind of pining away, hoping that uh you know this thing is over sooner than later. You know, social butterflies that we are. But uh, I'm gonna ask Corey this quick question before I jump into jump into jump into football here. Uh, what? Some people may or may not know. I'm going to assume it's, it's most people may not know this about Corey, is that he has the best head of hair among uh, Conference USA beat writers. And uh, I, I got to know how my guy is hanging in there with the uh, lack of accessibility to a, to a barber. As someone who is 28 years old and, and had to, you know, deal with the reality that at 26, he had to come on home and shave his head. How are you, uh, how are you holding in there, man? <laughs> oh man! Well, first off, uh, many thanks for the uh, for the praise on the on the uh, what I refer to as the main. Um, <laughs> but man, I'm telling you, uh, it's it's already getting a, a bit out of hand. And uh, if if we if if I can't get with my uh, shout out to uh, to my barbara uh, barber, his name is Seth. Shout out to Seth. He does tremendous work. Uh, I love him. I miss him. It's killing me that I can't go visit him right now because I already desperately need a haircut. And the longer this thing goes, the worse it's going to get. So if we are, in fact, going to get immediate days this summer, if I can't get a haircut before then, Eric, I'm probably going to blow your mind because this stuff is going to be just absolutely crazy. 
who knows, I may just give in at some point before then and just say, you know what, it, I had a good run. It, it's gone. <laughs> so uh, I hope I, I hope it doesn't come to that. But, uh, man, it's 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 not good, man. I like my hair probably just as much as anybody, but there, there I do reach a point where I'm like, man, this is this, this has got to get this has got to get cut. This has got to get trimmed, and and I've already surpassed that point. So I'm 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 losing my patience. <laughs> I am in no position to judge, my man. Like I said, I had to uh, deal with the reality <laughs> and come on in a couple years back. But uh, now that we've now that we've got the important stuff out of the way, we'll uh, get to football. Uh, quick question here about uh, Jamar Smith. You know, you kind of talked about you know who his replacements may be as far as Aaron Allen and Luke Anthony. But I just want to ask this question because I, I know at least Joe and I have talked about a lot about him on the podcast, and he's kind of had, you know, for lack of a better phrase, an up-and-down career. I guess my question is, what will his legacy be there in Ruston? You know, I, it kind of feels from an outsider's perspective that his legacy will be somewhat of, you know, hey, he had a good career and got us the bowl games, but, you know, he was never Ryan Higgins or Jeff Driscoll. Am, am, I, am I wrong in that, uh, you know, assessment? No, I don't think you are. I think um... – you know, well, for starters, let me say, uh, Jamar is, is, is a great kid. Um, you know, I mean, he's another one of those guys that I've gotten to know pretty well over the last three years, three, four years. And, uh, su- super, super kid, uh, really good interview, uh, usually really honest and open with you. Um, but I think, you know, for the Louisiana Tech fan base, I think the way that, that Jamar will be viewed in their eyes for, for many, many years to come is is the the phrase that comes to mind is, oh, what could have been. You know, I think, you know, from from an arm standpoint, he has a huge arm. You know, he, he could make, you know, all the throws downfield, um, you know, so, so the, the option for a big play was always – you know, something that opposing defenses had to be wary of, you know, with every offensive snap, you know, for Louisiana Tech while he was quarterback. But, and and I guess what's kind of a shame for Jamar is, is that, you know, kind of the way his senior year transpired in, in, the, in the second half of it, I think is going to be something that's going to um, sort of be uh, remembered with his name for, for a long time as, you know, Tech was was sitting in such a really great position to to win the West Division and to get back to the Conference USA Championship game for the first time in three years. And and, and he, along with Adrian Hardy, wide receiver, and, and James Jackson, a linebacker, you know, they get hit with that suspension, and so he can't play for two games. Well, you know, they without Jamar, they go and they lose, you know, a, you know, on a Friday night game at Marshall, and then the following week they travel to uh, Birmingham and and lose a close game, you know, at, at Legion Field to the Blazers, and that was ultimately the game that decided who won the division. And and I, and I think for uh, for the majority of Louisiana Tech fans, I, I think that's going to be that's going to be what they remember most when someone brings up the name Jamar Smith is, is, you know, what could have been, you know, if had he had, had he had not gotten himself into that predicament, what could we have, what could we have accomplished? And, and, um, you know, and that, again, that's not to take away from, you know, being a, a starter for three years, which is something um, that Skip Holtz hasn't had, you know, in his entire tenure at Ruston, you know, it was, you know, when he came back as a, as a redshirt junior and, and was the starting quarterback for that second straight year, I mean, that was the first time it had ever happened for Skip. So, um, you know, it's the quarterback position in Skip Holtz's offensive system is, is you know, you know, he just, he just doesn't give that job away to any kid. I mean, this is a kid that's got to go out and earn it. And I mean, even after Jay Moore started as a redshirt sophomore, 
getting that job over Weston Elliott, you know, as a redshirt junior, and he, and he did that, you know, and, and he's thrown for, you know, tons of yards. And I, and the biggest thing that, that Todd Fitch, you know, last year's offense coordinator and quarterbacks coach, who's now at Vanderbilt, um, you know, the biggest thing Todd and I talked about before the season last year for Jay Marr was, you know, can we see him take that next step in terms of taking care of the football in terms of uh, making the right reads, checking the ball down, don't get don't get uh, you know antsy in the pocket, you know stand in there, trust your trust your eyes, trust your guys, make the throws. And Jamar did do those things. I think from you know from the game perspective, I think Jamar made a huge leap between his redshirt junior year and his redshirt senior year. And I th- and I think you know kind of the, some of the rumblings that I've heard about Jamar and his potential. You know, uh, you know, pro prospect. You know, for the NFL. You know, this is a guy that I, last I've heard in the last two or three weeks is, is you know, he's he's been able to catch a lot. He's gotten on a few more teams' as radar. You know, and I think, you know, from from the end of his redshirt junior year to what I'm hearing now, I think that's light years above you know what we would have heard this time last year about Jamar Smith from an NFL perspective. And so I think that kind of gives you a glimpse as to, you know, how much he improved as a quarterback. Uh, in his last year, you know, even missing the two games, uh, you know, I think that speaks volumes to how much he improves. But, um, you know, I, I really do think, um, you know, a lot of people around the Louisiana Tech program still still kind of have uh, sort of an, uh, a missing element when they think about Jamar Smith because, um, you know, I really do think that, you know, there could have been a lot of big things that this Louisiana Tech team could have accomplished um, you know, had had Jay Moore not gotten himself in the in the spot that he did, but you know, you live and you learn, and and um, you know, that, I think that's just kind of that's just the unfortunate nature of of being a college football athlete in these days and times. You know, you're under the spotlight, and and uh, you know, when you have a little slip up, you know, it's it's you have to suffer and pay the consequences, and he did that, and and uh, you know, obviously from a fan perspective, where it's uh, you know, it's what have you done for me lately? Uh, I think that's going to be Unfortunately, something that I think tarnish may be too strong of a word for Jamar's legacy, but it is going to be kind of a, you know, kind of a blip on on that radar and on his name uh, in Louisiana Tech lore. Absolutely, and it, it's unfortunate. I know Joe and I have talked about on this podcast a fair amount that you know it looked like, like you said, that Jamar Smith had really turned that corner. And who knows what would have happened if they go up in a conference championship game against FAU? You know, maybe it comes out at least maybe a better contest than we saw, you know, in that, uh, that fateful day that saw the Owls, you know, just run through and <laughs> capture the Conference USA title. But as we uh, just transition here, talk about uh, – you talked about Aaron Allen and Luke Anthony, but I want to ask you about the running back and Justin Henderson. You know, is there a possibility that this team that's been more or less, you know, a, a pass-heavy offense or at least been reliant on the passing game pretty much every year prior to this year where you saw more of that balance, is there a possibility that they could really – turn to a run-heavy team with Justin Henderson as they break in a new quarterback? You know, Eric, that's a good question. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of one of those storylines that, that I really had, um, you know, written down on my notepad as we were getting ready to start spring practice because I kind of wanted to see, you know, kind of what that share load was uh, during some, you know, some spring football practice. I know that wouldn't have been, you know, the the full-on indicator of, of how Skip Holtz uh, would maybe approach this year. But, uh, you know, you're looking at a you're looking at a kid that 
Let, yeah, I mean, let's talk about Justin Henderson for a second. You know, this was a kid that they signed out of a junior college. They brought him in. This kid started the year last year as the third-string running back. And then five games in, he's the starter. So just just by that fact alone, I mean, you're looking at a guy that improved so much from spring ball last year and then even through uh, – preseason fall camp and in the first few weeks of the actual season you know that that's that's kind of as a college football player that's kind of where you make your money right is is if you can improve during the football season and earn yourself playing time I think in the eyes of coaches that that makes you more more of a valuable piece and a guy that they know that they can rely on and this was a guy that went out and did that uh, you know, he ended up rushing for more than uh, 1,000 yards, uh, which they didn't have the year before. And that was something that's kind of been, you know, as much as Tech has thrown the ball under Skip Holtz, you know, I think that's one of the one of the strangest stats that gets overlooked is that they've had so many running backs rush for more than 1,000 yards in a season. When you think about a Boston Scott, a Jared Kraft, you know, a Kenneth Dixon, you know, you got these guys that were – that were really workhorse running backs that just kind of got overshadowed because you had quarterbacks throwing for 5,000 yards a season, you know, and, and that's kind of, I guess that's goes back to the nature of, of the game these days. But uh, I mean, I do think to answer your question, Eric, I do think Justin Henderson is, is a workhorse caliber player, but you have to keep in mind that, um, you know, yeah, you're going to have a, a new starting quarterback this year, but you've got you've got playmakers like Adrian Hardy that'll be back on the outside that are that are that are game changers. You know, so you you've got to get the ball in these guys' hands. You you still have to spread the ball around. Um, but could I envision a scenario where this year the 2020 version of the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs football program and the offense that they run could it be as close to 50-50 as possible? Uh, I do think that there is a scenario in which we could see that. Uh, but, you know, and another thing you have to factor into that too, Eric, is, is you know, how is the offensive line coming along? You know, can they, can they open the holes for Justin to hit? You know, um, and then obviously maybe, they, maybe they're struggling in pass pro. And so they, they have to run the ball to try to, you know, move the chains and gain yards. So there, there's going to be a lot that factors into this. But, um so I guess I'm kind of answering your question, but I'm also kind of not because, again, I, I wish I'd had at least a couple of spring practices to, to watch and observe. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get that. So um, so the, the answer is Justin has that capability. I think he's, you know, from a physical standpoint, you know, being a 5'11", you know, 225-pound guy, I mean, he physically he can withstand carrying the ball 30 times a game. I don't think there's any question. Uh, but, you know, when you factor in uh, three new offensive linemen and, you know, uh, you know Joe Sloan is, is taking over for Todd Fitch as offense coordinator, uh, offense coordinator and quarterback's coach, uh, I mean, the offense will basically be the same, but I also I'm interested in seeing what new wrinkles, you know, Joe will throw in on the offensive side of the ball. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of about trust. You know, who, who do they trust the most? You know, do they trust their offensive line to get the job done? And, and, um, you know, how much do they want to, uh, you know, just create that balance offensively? So it's going to be something interesting to watch. Um, and, um, you know, I, I'm just – I'm curious to see what they do because you're, you're, still, you're still losing a lot of those guys on the offensive side of the ball and, and you've got some, got some new guys in some key spots. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see how they, how they sort of navigate those, those holes that they need to fill and, and what they trust the most uh, when they're calling plays. 
Absolutely. I mean, you talk about his rise up the depth chart, just take a look at the numbers for a second. He's a guy who had 20 carries in the first three contests, Texas, Grambling, and Bowling Green. And then he has his breakout game against FIU, and, you know, he's really the workhorse back throughout the rest of the year. Uh, transition to the defensive side, you talked about the move from Bob Diaco, you know, now taking a new position. Uh, you got former Old Dominion defensive coordinator David Blackwell coming in. Guy I'm curious about who I – I don't want to necessarily say he had a down year per se. I think maybe it was a – a change in role. I'm curious to see what his role may be this year. Willie Baker, you know, we know he's kind of seen him uh, on the defensive line, you know, kind of toyed around a little bit as that outside linebacker last year. I'm just curious what your your thoughts are as far as, you know, his kind of uh, what his role will be this year and whether we see him with his hand in the dirt more or with him stand up and see that role as outside linebacker. Uh, I mean, as we as we saw two years ago, um, you know, before Bob Diaco arrived uh, on campus in Ruston, um, you know, under you know under Blake, who who was a four three base guy, you know, Willie Willie was the 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 end opposite of Jalen Ferguson. Uh, now, obviously, you know, any other any other end on the line is going to benefit just tenfold with having a guy like Jalen Ferguson on the other side of the line. So let's, let's don't downplay that because Jalen Ferguson was, was an incredible talent. I mean, that's why he's playing for the Baltimore Ravens now in the NFL, but I, there, there honestly may not be anyone in the defensive meeting uh, team meeting room. That's happier about Blackwell coming in and going back in the defense, going back to a four, three front more than Willie Baker, because I, his, his natural, position on the football field is is hand hand on the ground rush in you know in a four in a four three base uh, I think that's his more natural um, position and on the field and I think he's going to be really happy to get back to that you know he had to you know play in that um, you know that that end linebacker hybrid spot last year uh, you know he had to cut a little bit of his weight you know I think he cut 20 or so pounds uh, before uh, game started last year just to kind of get in the in the right shape uh you know to play that position uh but i I like to think just from what i saw two years ago with him strictly playing end you know when i take that film versus the film on him last year i I think he thrives more playing a little heavier because i think he's strong enough to uh you know get off those blocks as he's already shown and and be able to disrupt you know plays in the backfield I, i think that's what he enjoys the most and and uh, he didn't didn't quite to do didn't quite get to do as much of that last year in a three four base, um, but I, I think Willie I think Willie is going to be incredibly happy to to be back in a four three and and uh, you know him and, and Milton Williams on the other side at the two end spots uh, and I think you're looking at you know a, a really good uh, defensive end tandem arguably maybe one of the one of the better ones in the entire conference and and. Um, you know his, his leadership. You know he 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 took on more of a leadership role last year. Although, you know, with him playing a, in a spot that maybe wasn't as as natural to him as as he'd like for it to be. You know, he still was one of those voices on the defensive side of the ball that I think a lot of a lot of guys look to. And and uh, with a lot of younger guys that are going to be around him this year, uh, his voice is going to be that much more important. And so. Um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to watching Willie Baker get back with his hand in the ground a lot more and 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 just lining up at a more natural end position and and um, you know and then too I, I meant I'm really fascinated to see you know what uh, opposing offense coordinators are going to do and, and how they scheme blocks on his side you know 
because you're going to have to make a choice. Do you, do you try to double team Willie Baker? Or are you going to try to you know double team Milton Williams on the other side? So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how they're game planned against and and um, and as we've seen before though uh, you know Willie Baker if you if you just one v one him he's he's probably going to win more times than not so. Uh, I think I think like I said I think this is a guy that's probably one of the more excited defensive players in uh, the Louisiana Tech football program right now because uh, he's going to get back to his natural spot. Last one here before we wrap it up and send it back to Joe. Uh, Corey, I don't know if you saw this. There was kind of a deal trending on Twitter the other day. A couple of sports writers jumped in here. It was a stadium question, which was you know first stadium, last stadium, best stadium, worst stadium. Gonna ask you a set of two questions here. One, uh, what's the best stadium and worst stadium you've been to? And I know I'm putting you in a, in a bind there with the final with the final part of that. And the second question is, uh, what's the best press box meal you've had in your uh, illustrious career? Oh man, best press box meal. Okay, uh, so let's uh, let's think about these stadiums for a second. Um, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to go worst first. Um, you know, I went and covered a. Uh, now, are we talk like are we talking about like just college football? Or are we talking about like high school and stuff too? Cause, nah, let's, you know. let's, let's, keep it, let's keep it college. I know you know there's some, especially down here in Florida. Um, you know, we're not all privileged enough to be Texas in terms of high school stadium, so we'll, we'll leave it in uh, the college realm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I needed to. I mean, I wasn't going to maybe name any high schools, but I didn't want to throw him under the bus, but I've been to some high school stadiums that are not great. Um, but, you know, from a, from a collegiate standpoint, um, you know, I went and covered the, um, the Grambling State-Jackson State game last year at Mississippi Veterans Stadium uh, in Jackson, and I was um, – I, I was not too impressed. I was not too impressed. You know, I, I, I thought from a layout standpoint, I thought it was a beautiful stadium, but um, just the, the it was a cramped press box. Um, you know, there was the, the AC wasn't working. This was a game that was in early October, and the and kickoff was at 4 o'clock, and it was steaming hot in there. And um, it was uh, not, not my most pleasurable experience. So I, I guess if, if – if I'm put on the spot here, I'll say Mississippi Veterans Stadium as my worst. Um, you know, the best. Um, you know, I'm trying to think here. Uh, you know, last year I, I went and covered the Louisiana Tech-Texas game in Austin, and I will say that that uh, DK Royal is a is a pretty special place. Um, you know, it's it's one of those places where, you know, if you had never been before, you know, you hear all the stories and you kind of know all the lore, you know, that follows the Texas football program. And, and to actually had, had been in there and, and um, you know, kind of experienced that, um, I will say that it was it was a pretty fun experience uh, from a you know from a working standpoint. I mean they had they had every amenity known to man, anything that you could ever want to do your job, they had it and it was spectacular. Um, but to to throw a curveball here, that was from a working standpoint. But just from a personal standpoint, I mean I, I've got to go with Bryant Denny Stadium. I mean it's 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 a uh, hallowed ground, you know, it's it's a beautiful place. Uh it holds a special place in my heart. 
um, you know, Roll Tide for the probably the two Alabama fans that are listening right now. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, those are probably my two best stadiums. Uh, and Press Box Meal, um, you know, I, I guess I can't really remember much of, uh, I guess, the meal itself offhand, but one of the first ever games I covered as the Louisiana Tech beat writer, uh, it was, I think it may have been the first or second home game after Tech had opened up their new press box. And the only thing I remember about the meal was that they served this bread pudding that had this, this hot bourbon sauce that you could pour along the top of it. And if anybody knows me well enough knows that I'm a huge bread pudding guy. And this stuff was to die for. It was so good. Um, it, it, whatever they served before the bread pudding don't even matter because the bread pudding made the entire meal. So I'm going to go with that. If you serve me bread pudding, you, you automatically go to the top of my list of best press box meals. So maybe everybody that's listening will start trying to get some bread pudding in their press boxes. Cause I will be a very happy guy if they do that. I'll say really quick on your answers. Uh, there's nothing worse. And I'm sure Joe can attest to this as well. There's nothing worse than, the press box cramped with beat writers or cramped with, you know, media and there is no AC. My, uh, my alma mater, UCF, had a uh, situation last year where the AC went out during the Stanford game, and that was a, a very toasty press box. And then uh, the second point I'll say is uh, you don't get food like that down in South Florida. You know, I'm not complaining. There's a lot of students <laughs> eat, you know, a lot of coffee and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, some of that uh, good Southern cooking, you know, we're missing out on. So, uh, I'm definitely envious there. I think I'll pass it back to Joe to close this one up. I know I'm about to go eat lunch, and uh, I know my mouth's watering just thinking about all the stuff you were talking about, so I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, Corey, can't thank, <laughs> Corey can't thank you enough for your time today. Uh, if anybody listening wants to go follow Corey's work, you can follow him on Twitter at Corey Diaz underscore TNS. And, of course, you can read his uh, insight on Louisiana Tech as well as Grambling State and Louisiana High School sports on uh, in the News Star. Um, and with that, we'll start wrapping up the show then. Thank you all so much once again for listening. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. And come back to underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football content. We're going to try to get through this uh, really weird period of no sports together and uh, hopefully build some momentum towards uh, football coming back in. August or September. Uh, happy football watching, everybody. Talk to you soon.